from Las Vegas. You're listening to Verve Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. There are some really strange laws in various American states. Uh, Some have been changed, but some are still on the books. Like in Arizona, it is illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. That's true, still true today. Uh, And in Kentucky, it's illegal to have ice cream in your back pocket. And we hear those laws and we're like, how stupid, and those people are idiots, you know. And, but, but they weren't stupid at the time. There was a reason for those laws. They, they made total sense at the time. Do you want to know the reason? Yeah? So the law for not allowing a donkey to sleep in a bathtub went into effect in 1924. Uh, apparently, there was a rancher who had a donkey that frequently slept in a bathroom on his ranch property, which seems weird to me, but what do I know? Uh, one day, a local uh, dam broke and water from the reservoir washed the bathtub and the donkey into a basin. Uh, Local authorities were called in, and they uh, took all kinds of effort and time to rescue the donkey. It wasn't easy. And so to prevent such a thing from ever happening again, they made a law that from from now on prohibited donkeys from sleeping in bathtubs. It seems stupid to us, right? We don't understand. We don't understand why. We don't even own donkeys unless... No? Okay. Right? But, but they were grateful for that law at the time. Totally made sense at the time. Uh, what about the law against carrying ice cream in your back pocket? Stupid, right? Well, actually, uh, it had an important purpose at the time. Because if you carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket and walked by a horse, the horse would follow you because horses love sweet things. And so it was a trick that horse thieves used back then. And they made the law, which makes no sense to us, seems dumb to us. It was passed back then, and everyone understood it, and they were grateful for it. There are some really strange things in the Bible. Uh, Like the Bible, there's a verse that says you can't touch a pig. Uh, You can't eat shrimp. Um, Don't get tattoos. And maybe you've heard uh, that in it God commands a genocide and that God is pro-slavery. That's what people who want to make the Bible look stupid love to say. Today, I want to start making sense of some of those crazy-sounding things in the Bible. And I think we'll start to see that all the Bible verses that seem crazy to us today or maybe even disturbing are actually just taken out of context. By, by some people who do that maliciously, some people who just have never read the Bible and don't know, uh, some people who have read the Bible but don't understand how to read it. Um, today, as we continue our series, we're trying to learn how do we read the Bible. Uh, and today I want to share with you four principles. Uh, these are from a great book called How to Not Read the Bible. If you want to dig into this more, it's really good. Uh, four principles to help us understand the Bible, okay? Uh, number one. The Bible is a library, not a book. We call the Bible a book, but it's not a book. It's actually a library of 66 books divided into two 
testaments. Uh, the word testament means covenant. A covenant is an agreement. And the Old Testament, the part before Jesus comes, or the Old Covenant, is the agreement that God made with the Israelites, the, the people who are ethnically Jewish, about how they could know and worship him. Okay, And then the, the New Testament uh, comes in, and it's an agreement that God made with all people through Jesus in how they could worship and know God. And when he puts in the new agreement, it does away with the old covenant. Uh, the Bible was written beginning around 1400 B.C., so like 3,400 years ago, and through about 100 A.D. It was written by 40 different authors uh, across three languages, three continents. Uh, the authors included Shepherds, farmers, uh, fishermen, priests, kings, philosophers, tent makers who lived in different periods of time, uh, had different life experiences and personalities which affected what they wrote and how they wrote it. But behind all of these human authors was God's spirit who was inspiring and guiding them. Uh, we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture, every word of the Bible, is inspired by God. So the, the 66 books of the Bible, uh, they are composed of different kinds of literature. There's poetry in the Bible. There's history in the Bible. There are letters that were written to people in the Bible. Um, there, there are some Christians, you may have met one of these Christians, who very proudly proclaim, I always take the Bible literally. Well, okay, but you should take it literally. I made that word up. I just made that word up. Like, I'm a word inventor. Uh, and so what, what I mean, literally, meaning you should read it according to the kind of literature it is. That's how you best honor, respect, and understand the Bible. So, for instance, if, if it's a poem, assuming that it's literal, because I take the Bible literally, that, that does not respect what God gave you. Uh, for instance, there is a love poem in the Bible that a groom writes to his wife on the, their like wedding day. And look what he writes in Song of Solomon, chapter 7. He says, your waist is a mound of wheat. Oh, man, romance is flowing. Things are going to be happening, right? He says, your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabbim. If that's literal, this guy just married a freak of nature, right? But it's not literal. You know what he's saying? What he's saying is, she's a brick house. She's mighty, mighty, letting it all hang out. She's a brick house. The lady sacked, and that's a fact. Ain't hold nothing back. Ow. Right? right? So that, that's, what, that's almost exactly what she's saying. Thank you very much. So knowing when it was written and what kind of literature it is should impact how we read it and help us to understand it, even the parts in it that seem a little crazy. For instance, let, let's say that you read this verse in the Bible, Psalm 137, verse 9. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. That's in the Bible. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against rocks. So you will see this verse on billboards that are posted by angry atheist groups. You'll see it in lots of memes. And people say, that's your God. Can you believe your God 
said that. That's the God of love that you guys worship. Really? Because your God said that. Okay. Except God didn't say that. That's in the Psalms. And the Psalms were poems written by people to God. Not written by God to people, written by people to God. Uh, this was written uh, at a time when the Israelites were living in captivity in the nation of Babylon. Uh, Babylon had come into Israel, had like destroyed the cities, killed tons of people, including killing the, the Israelites' babies by throwing them against the rocks. And, and so um, this author is in the psalm, he's expressing his grief and his anger. Remembering what was done to the babies of Israel, he's asking God for poetic justice. It wasn't a literal plan to kill babies. He's just giving voice to, to his pain and the people's pain. And most importantly, it wasn't God who said it. Just because something in the Bible does not mean just because something's in the Bible does not mean that God said it, does not mean that God approves of it. So we need to know when was this written, by whom was it written, what kind of literature is it, okay? Four principles. Second one, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. So every word of the Bible was inspired by God. You can trust every word in it. And every word in it was written for us. Uh, so, so let's read the rest of that quote we looked at from um, 2 Timothy. We saw at the beginning. Let's look at the rest. It says, remember, all Scripture is inspired by God. And it says, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So um, th th that what this is saying is uh, that everything in the Bible was written for us, and, uh, but, but it was not written to us. And so um, that's why it was written. It was not written in a modern language. It wasn't written to our modern culture and our modern assumptions. And so to understand it and get the most benefit from it, we need to try to enter the world of the people who originally read it. We, we need to try to hear the words as they would have heard them as best we can, which is how they were originally intended for them to be heard. It, most people, when they start reading the Bible, the first question they ask is, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to my life? Which are good questions to ask, but it assumes that these words were written for me, directly to me, but it wasn't written to me. And if we read it that way, we, we can mistakenly read into it our presuppositions, what we believe and understand based on our experience, our culture, and our worldview. So we tend to read it through the lens of our culture and us, but it was not written to us or our culture. And we need to be aware of that. Otherwise, what happens is we can be confused by things we don't understand, or we might think something applies to us that actually doesn't. Or, or sometimes people will think there's a, there's a promise right there. I'm reading it in the Bible. And they'll think that promise was for me, and it's not. It was for someone else. And then they get angry with God when he's not fulfilling that promise. But it wasn't written to me. We need to ask, who was this originally written to and why? If we do, you know, we'll discover that the Bible verses that don't make sense 
did make sense to the original readers back then. It's just that we live in a different time. By the way, uh, this is true not just of the Bible. This is true of everything. So, for instance, let's say that you could like, uh, get in a time machine and go back to the 1980s, okay, 40 years ago, just 40 years, and you said to this 1980s person, hey, I'm going to go surf the web. They would have absolutely no idea what you were talking about. They would just look at you blankly, and, and they would be like, so you're going to get on a surfboard and is this a really big spider web that you're gonna, right? It would make no sense to people who lived just 40 years ago. So of course when we read things that were written 4,000 years ago, some of it is gonna be a little hard to understand. Now the, the truth is most of the Bible is easy to understand. If you read through it, you know, page after page, you rarely get stuck and it, and it makes sense. But when you do get to something that doesn't make sense, that, that might be confusing or even a little bit disturbing, don't be caught off guard. It's because it was written at a different time to a different people living in a different culture. And if we just pause and ask, who was this originally written to and why, we'll often find that, that uh, there is something we, important that we can learn for us. Even though it wasn't written to us, there's often application that we can make, even those parts that seem confusing and weren't written to us. Okay? Four principles. First, the Bible is a library, not a book. Second, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. Third, don't read a Bible verse. Don't read, you don't expect to hear that in church. Don't read a Bible verse. Instead, at least read the paragraph. Or even better, try to read the whole chapter. And if you can, and it's very simple with Google and stuff today, try to understand like the context of the book it's in and maybe how that book kind of fits into the whole Bible. Because if you just read a verse, then it's really easy to not understand it or to misinterpret it. Again, that's not just true with the Bible. That's true with everything. Uh, for instance, let's say that you came into my office. Let's pretend I had an office. And you came into my office and you saw on my desk uh, a quote. And the quote said this, just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. Okay, so, so you read that, and you went, huh, what does that mean? And, and you decided, huh, oh, it's, it's probably something that someone said in that Netflix show, Love is Blind, because they, they can't see each other, but they just want to see the person with their own. That's, that must be what it meant. Or you, you read it, and you're like, oh, I know. That person's talking about seeing someone with the eyes of their heart, because they've seen them with their eyes, but not the eye. Oh, that, what a beautiful sentiment. But that's not what it means. Some of you know exactly what that means, and you know how to say it with a deep voice. Let me look on you with my own eyes. It's not very good, but you know how to say it because it's from Star Wars, and it was spoken by Darth Vader to his son, Luke. Just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. Oh, that's what it means, right? And just like the Bible, Star Wars is this epic story. It covers uh, different time periods. It covers different generations of people. There's one major plot that goes all the way through it. But within that one plot, there's different storylines. There's different characters. And then when you know all of that, oh, that quote makes perfect sense. You know exactly what it means. Same with the Bible. That's why you don't just read a verse 
at least read a little bit of the context, right? The, the verse will mean so much more if you read the, the paragraph or the chapter or even eventually the whole book of the Bible it's in. Um, one example of how you can go wrong when you just read a Bible verse. There, there is a vegetarian group uh, that will not be named who hand out pamphlets telling people that they can't eat meat, and on their pamphlet, they have a Bible verse. And so, well, apparently God said it. Uh, the Bible verse that they hand out to you is Genesis 129. It says, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Oh, I mean, there you go. Apparently God says, right, it's right there in the Bible, you're supposed to eat trees and, uh, and plants and fruit and kale chips, right? I mean, th th there it is, right? That verse definitely backs it up. So I guess for lunch, let's go to that new vegan restaurant and eat fake hamburgers. I mean, that, that's what the Bible says. Unless you just don't read a verse, if you say, well, I'm going to keep reading. Well, then you're going to get to Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, where God says, Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Oh, let's go get some Korean barbecue, right? Now that changes things for lunch. You don't just read a Bible verse, okay? One more principle. Number four, all the Bible points to Jesus, and Jesus loved this crazy Bible. So from, from the very beginning in Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation, all of the Bible points to Jesus. He is the storyline. He, he is not mentioned by name in the Old Testament, but he is mentioned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the Old Testament. In fact, it's super interesting. Um, so Jesus came to earth. He lived for about 33 years. He's crucified. He dies. Three days later, he raises from the dead. And he's with his followers, and they're so confused. They're like, you can't, you're supposed to be God, but then you died. You couldn't be God if you died. But then now you're, you're alive again. I, and Jesus is trying to help them understand. And the way he helps them understand, he's like, guys, you knew all this. You grew up reading the Old Testament. It's all spelled out for you in the Old Testament. I'll, sh I'll show you. Um, you're going to see Jesus say Moses and the prophets. That's kind of shorthand for the Old Testament. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. The prophets make up most of the rest of the Old Testament of the Bible. Um, so Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 25. He, Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise up from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He's like, you're seeing what was written about for all those, you know, 1,400 years before I came that you learned, grew up learning. It was all in the Old Testament. You've read it. It was all right there for you. The whole Bible is about Jesus. That doesn't mean that every verse in the Old Testament we should like be making allegorical connections to Jesus or, or looking for Jesus in every little detail. But we do need to remember, man, the whole storyline points to Jesus. All right. 
four key principles uh, for reading and understanding the Bible. Today and next week, we're going to use those four principles uh, to help us. Next week, we're going to look at some of the weird things in the Bible. So like the, the Bible, there's a verse in there that says, do not touch a pig. Uh, and so does that mean we have to do away with football? Because that's that's a pigskin, right? Um, and we're going to look next week at uh, some of the disturbing things in the Bible. Like there are people who would point to verses and go, hey, doesn't that mean that God supports slavery? Is that true? But today, with the little time we have, uh, I want to focus on what is probably the greatest accusation made against God. Um, that he is violent, and specifically that in the Bible he commanded a genocide. Uh, the verse that people who claim this point to is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2. So this is, a, this is one of the most controversial verses in the Bible. It says, the Lord will force them, them as the Canaanites, they were a, a people group back then, the Lord will force them out of the land, then you must destroy them without mercy. Don't make any peace treaties with them. People say that was a genocide. God was trying to kill off the genocides. Um, and so what, what do you do in this situation? Let's see if you can say it with me. Don't read a Bible verse. Don't, right? That's a verse, right? We need context, right? So here's some context. I want to kind of pin a tweet for you. Um, this is a description of God. It's one of, it might be the most repeated verse in the Bible. Um, Exodus chapter 34 says, The Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who God is. He is not slow to love. He is abounding in love. He's slow to anger, and he is abounding in compassion. When God does have to express anger, it's actually an expression of his love. Let's get some more context. And what we're going to see is that this was not a genocide and that this was not random violence. This happened in a specific situation at a specific time for a very specific reason. So the book of Deuteronomy that that verse is in uh, was written to the ancient Israelites about 3,500 years ago. At that time, there was a land that belonged to the Israelites, but this other nation, Canaan, had come in and taken their land. Um, so this battle was about geography, not ethnicity. And so it's not a genocide. Uh, genocide is the deliberate killing of a large percentage of a particular ethnic group because of racial prejudice. But this is not based on ethnicity. This is based on geography. It's not about race. In fact, uh, if you keep reading the Bible, you'll see that there's a time or two where God allows his own people, Israel, to be captured and their cities destroyed because they were rebelling against God and being evil. And so God is not racially biased in his judgments. He makes the same judgments about different people groups, including his own people. It's not about ethnicity. It was about geography and it was about the wickedness of the people who occupied that land, the Canaanites. God did not want their evil practices to influence the people of Israel. Um, just like if you had a 
12-year-old living at home and there was a drug dealer who moved in your house, you'd be like, I might want that person out of my house so it doesn't infect my 12-year-old, right? And, and so God knew that the Canaanite's evil was like a cancer, that if it was not completely removed, it would eventually multiply and spread and would poison the hearts and the minds of the Israelites and everyone else. Um, I say evil practices. What do I mean by their evil practices? Uh, the Canaanites were evil. I'll, I'll just give you a couple of examples. So the, they worshiped another god. That in, it, in itself is not evil. The way they worshiped their god was. Uh, they practiced bestiality. Um, they offered their young daughters to the temple priests for sex. They offered their young little baby boys as living sacrifices to their god. Um, one of the ways they did this is they had this huge metal statue of their god, Molech. And the statue had uh, outstretched arms. The statue was made of metal. They would heat up that statue until it was scalding hot, and then they would put their babies in the arms of their god, Molech, so that they would burn to death. But they didn't want to listen to those babies crying, so they would have a big celebration right in front of the statue. They would have flutes and drums and be dancing, so they didn't have to listen to the cries of the baby who was being fried because it might kill their vibe. Uh, repeatedly, we see God um, putting in uh, guidelines and restrictions to help his people, the Israelites, to be separate and distinct from those people, the Canaanites, and their practices. Uh, one example, um, some people claim that the Bible says you cannot get a tattoo. Why do they claim that? It's in the Bible. Leviticus 19.28, look at it. It says, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. God said it. There it is. You can't get a, a tattoo if you just read a Bible verse, right? But if you decide that you want some context and you read more, what you discover is that the Canaanites would slash their bodies and mark themselves with ink, with tattoos, to worship their god, Molech. And so what God's actually doing here is telling his people to not enter into the worship practices of these evil people and their evil God. And that's why he told them that they couldn't get these tattoos. That is not why people get tattoos today. It's a completely different thing. So Canaanites were evil. But even with that, God gave them so many chances. You, you remember our pin tweet? It was that God is slow to anger, abounding in love. Um, if, if you get more context, you'll discover that God gave the opportunity to the Canaanites to turn to him, to, to put their evil behind them, their wickedness behind them, and turn to God uh, so that they could avoid battle, avoid death for hundreds of years. God gives them warnings, and he calls them to turn away from the evil and turn to him for hundreds of years. And, uh, and that's exactly what he hopes will happen. I mean, God created those people and everyone in love, to be loved by him, to be loved, um, to love him in return. There's another place in the Bible where God says, do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. 
fact, there's another story in the Bible, you may, you may know it, uh, where there is another nation that is equally, maybe even more evil, the Ninevites. And God sends someone named Jonah to the Ninevites to warn them, just like he did with the Canaanites, hey, turn from your evil ways and turn to God and you will not be destroyed, you'll be saved. And you know what happens? All the Ninevites do it. They listen and they turn away from their evil and they turn to God and they're all saved. God always wants to show everyone compassion. He gives everyone every chance. But the Canaanites absolutely refused. They would not turn to God. They would not turn from their evil ways. And so God finally makes a decision that to protect everyone else, it's time to get rid of their evil presence in the world. You know what's really ironic? Uh, One of the things that people say against God, one of the accusations they've made, you've heard this, is they say, why does God allow all the evil in the world? Right? If God is good and God is loving, why doesn't he do something about all the evil in the world? And here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we see God doing something about all the evil in the world. And everyone says, look, there's God commanding genocide. Which way do you want it, right? God is not violent, uh, and this was not a genocide. And we need to read just more than just one Bible verse. We need to understand the context. And when we do, we see, man, God is always slow to anchor, and he's always abounding in love. And this was a specific time, a specific situation, and this was necessary. The the whole story of the Bible uh, is the story of God's love for us. And you read the whole thing, you're like, man, it is the story of God's love for you. And, and here's the truth about us. Uh, we can be evil. Maybe not in the sense of the Canaanites, but, man, if, if we had a day where we all came and you could see every thought I've ever had and all the things I want to do and say and things I do do and things I said do do and things I say and... Uh, right? You'd be like, oh, you're kind of evil. And I would look at you and you, all your stuff that all of a sudden was revealed, and you, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of evil too. We're all kind of evil. Do you know what our sin makes God? It makes God angry. It should. Like, what kind of God would God be if he just said, eh, I just overlook evil? It's, no. And, and so how does God respond to our evil? With patience, with grace, by sending Jesus. And God says the same message he's been saying all along to us. He says, if you just turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, you'll be forgiven and you will be saved. Uh, There's a Bible word. It's just the word that existed in the language back then. Um, Repent. Repent means to turn. It means to turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. Uh, Look look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2. It says, repent, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It means God is going to move inside of you, do the rest of your life with you. You'll never be alone. You'll have his power. Um, it, says, it says, the promise is for you. Who? The people he was speaking to that day, not us and your children, their children, and for all who are far off. That's us. Now now we're included, right? 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. He says, repent and be baptized. Uh, baptism is when a person is lowered underwater and then raised up out of the water. It, it symbolizes this spiritual cleansing uh, of all your sin, and it identifies us with Jesus because he was buried, and then he raised out of the grave to new life. And in the same way, we get to be buried in a water grave, and then we're raised up out of the water grave to new life. And if, if you want to put your faith in Jesus and get baptized, or maybe at some point in your life you've put your faith in Jesus, and for whatever reason you just never took that step of getting baptized, uh, we're doing baptisms next Sunday. We do them know, every two months or so, and, and uh, man, next Sunday could be your day. If you're ready for that, how cool would that be to make that your day? And so if you're interested, if you're curious, if you want to talk about it, go to verve.cc on your phone, verve.cc, and uh, there's a link that says baptism. Click on that link, and, um, but, and what will happen is I'll email you or call you, whatever, information, whatever contact you give me, and I'll say, hey, are you thinking you want to do this or you have questions? And then we'll just go from there, and no, no pressure at all. All right. So, so I want to give you some time to, to think about how you need to respond to this. Uh, maybe it's just like, man, I need to start reading the Bible every day. It would change my life. Maybe it's I need to give my life to Jesus and turn from my life I've been living and, and get baptized next week. So we're going to give you time to think about that, time to pray, uh, time to sing. Our band's going to lead us in two more songs. And also, if you'd like, um, you could take communion. It's on the tables in the back of the room. Uh, communion is a, piece of, a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice that represent Jesus' body and blood given on the cross for us. And it's a way of us remembering and thanking and celebrating what he did on the cross. Um, the, the blood he shed, the body that was there. And so if you'd like to take communion, you can go get it, bring it back to your seat. Whenever you're ready, um, you can take that. Okay? Let me pray for you, and then we'll give you time to pray. And what a, what a great God you are, God, that, that um, you gave us the Bible. Instead of just leaving us to imagine and, and wonder who you are and what we should do, you give us the Bible so that we can know you and so that we can um, know how to, to be in a relationship with you, know right from wrong, know how to be prepared for all the good things you want us to do. God, thank you for the Bible, and I hope this series leads to, to everybody in this community just saying, I want to read it every day. I'm like, I want to get to know this God better and what he has for me. And God, what a, what a God you are that even when we are evil, even when we think, say, do evil things, when we sin, um, you still love us. You still have compassion, and you call us to turn to you, put our faith in Jesus, and get baptized. Maybe there's someone who's ready to make that decision today. God, wherever we're at, we pray that you would give us faith. Give us more faith. We surrender to you, God, our lives uh, to your love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.